For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon. I actually did a fair amount of walking walking today, so that was a good for my uh, rehab uh, therapy. Um, so thanks to Rabbi Marwick, who was kind enough to uh, accompany me. I'm going to take a look at the parasha. I'm sorry, at the Haftorah, uh, which is being sponsored by a very good friend of this podcast, uh, Marciano, and Marciano family. Marciano, originally Marciano, uh, I'm very grateful in helping me to get back to um, where I was before all this health stuff uh, started. So thank you very much, Shim Marciano. Uh, we have the Haftorah this week, which is among the most famous, probably among the least understood, and that's Yeshayahu Kadosh 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 Shantos Melchor Tzkvoda. So in other words, in this week's Sedra, you get the Ten Commandments. So that means God reveals himself, whatever that means, to the Jewish people. It was divine revelation. So... You have a similar business with the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, who has a prophetic revelation. In other words, he encounters God on an individualistic basis as a prophet. Um, the descriptions are not identical, of course, but you wouldn't expect them to be. And the prophet, of course, is describing, as Naveen usually do not, how does it feel subjective? Subjective excuse me, subjectively, to um, encounter God. Now, as always is the case with these things, um, you have to pinch yourself and say like this, none of this is literally true. By that I mean, it is literally true that Yeshayahu, Isaiah, had a vision and saw God sitting on a throne surrounded by angels. That part is true. But just because he had a vision like that doesn't mean it's that way, because obviously God does not sit on a throne. Uh, this contributes to the idea, the fallacy people have, that God lives in heaven. Uh, but it's untrue. Elamai, the the Navi, has the problem of trying to, um, the fundamental existential problem, of trying to understand that which cannot be totally understood. Try to describe things that are beyond human, beyond anyone's experience the reality of God. And all we can say is that the way he experienced it was through a vision of God sitting on the throne surrounded by angels who were saying Kedusha. Um, that's how it filtered down to him. Uh, if any of us, therefore, are davening and you think about Hashem, Inevitably, you're going to have to form some kind of a image in your mind, even though you know it's not true. Does it not reflect of the absolute objective re uh, reality? But if I'm dominating, I imagine Hashem is a king sitting on a throne upstairs. Well, that's what Yeshayo did. You got to do that in order to get a handle on it. But as they always say with an asterisk next to it, which says, Lavdavka, because Hashem cannot be really comprehended. Aye, then what's Nevoah? 
Nevuah is a higher level of getting to what God is, even though it's infinitely far, beyond infinitely far, from what God actually is. That's what Nevuah is. In Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem says, Moshe said, let me see your face. God says, no. And that's even Moshe. So, a regular Navi like Yeshayo, who is among the greatest of the prophets, there's no question about that. Uh, but the best he can come up with uh, is is a God sitting on a throne and, you know, uh, with a large royal train filling the temple, surrounded by angels with six wings and that sort of thing. But it's not it's not actually what happens in Shemayim. Because Shemayim is not a place, therefore it cannot be described um, in physical terms, which it sure is in this prophecy. Um, the very idea of angels praising God is like a funny kind of concept. Because, you know, God created all the angels. And so in other words, he was there before the angels were ever around. And he doesn't need all that stuff. In spite of everything I just said, which is sort of my monodian, this prophecy has captured, historically speaking, captured the imagination of the Jewish people and of the rabbis. And ad kedekach, that the Jewish traditional attitude is if you want to talk about God, I'm saying something very significant here. The Jewish attitude is that when we talk about God in pr- during prayers, you evoke the Isaiah-type image with all the angelology that goes along with it. And this, of course, is the brachas, the Yusein Shachris, after Barcho, correct? Uh Whatever it is that you say in the davening, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Yotzer Recha Shagosu Shem Vresakol Hamelar Zadon Rachmim. But eventually, you get around the same Mesharsov. Uh, you know, uh, how do you say in Tisbarach Serena Malkina Goleno and all that? And you say Kulam Ahubim Kulam Brum King Borim Kulam Osim Ritzon Konam. I mean, who? As the angels. What angels? God is sitting upstairs, listening to your prayer, and he's surrounded by a bunch of angels. And, you know, Malmichim, Maritim, Magdishim, Malmichim, Hashem, God will give him another, you know, Kaddishu. And they say, Kaddosh, Kaddosh, Kaddosh. Besafar, Ruim, Kaddosh, 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 and all the rest of it. Uh, why do you evoke this image uh, of God surrounded by angels who are praising him? which is so well-known. And not only that, but, as we all know, in Chazor Sashatz, when the public is invited by the Shliach Tzibor to participate in praising God, you invoke Isaiah. Right? We now, we humans here, wouldn't be Mekadoshim downstairs? The, way, the same way that Mikadashu upstairs. What does that mean, Mikadashu upstairs? God doesn't live upstairs. He created upstairs. Yeah, but what do they say upstairs? That's the half tower today. Where does it say? That's the half tower today, the vision of Isaiah. So, in other words, even the greatest prophet has to come up with what is 
ultimately a false picture from the objective point of view of what God is, because you can't help it. Now this also, in a very interesting and intellectual way, parallels our uh, parsha with the Yisrael, simply because uh, we don't have many discussions of what the revelation was like, and of course we have to match here what you see in Parsha Yisrael with, with what you also have in Parsha Yisrael. I, I take it for granted everybody listening to this podcast is familiar with that. And indeed, you see that, you know, Rome is a colus, it's a lapidim, it's a roshain. It was a whole, whole light, light and show experience to Mount Sinai. And they saw angels and who knows what. And whether what they saw reflects the reality or reflects their subjective reality doesn't matter. Uh, it's what a human being perceives. Now, the Rambam, actually, in the Mordechai is kind of, uh, you know, wrapped up with the idea of, you know, what exactly happened to Harsina, because the people weren't in the Madreka to understand it yet. They weren't intellectually and philosophically uh, prepared, and Moshe Rabbeinu was the only one who got the real thing, etc., etc., etc. But that's a very sophisticated analysis, a very philosophical analysis. Pashim shot, they saw what they saw. And I think there's no question, and there are Midrashim that say, that whatever Kal Yisrael saw on the mountain, not everybody saw the same thing. Kol Hashem Bakoach, Kol Hashem Bahadar, Kol Hashem Chotzev Lavazesh. Some people heard the voice of Hashem this way. Some people heard the voice of Hashem that way. The experience was perhaps identical on the part of God, perhaps. But the reception of it was not identical on the part of people, because some people were more spiritual, and they could, their hair, a more spiritual kind of reality in front of them. And other people were less so, and they didn't have that kind of experience. Uh, See, Shayo is a a Navi-Navi, and so he does have this experience, but it doesn't mean it's identical with the reality. It's subjectively true, but not objectively true. That's just interesting what I'm saying. Something can be subjectively true, but not objectively true. There's a whole book in the Bible, I think, about that. It's called Eob, the book of Job, where, you know, the misfortunes happen to Job, even though he's a righteous man. And, you know, all these guys are offering what they believe is the objective reason that Job is being punished, namely that he was wicked. And he says, I know that's not the case. So, you know, Subject reality is, is Nishkan Klinika, especially in religion. Now, the message here is really interesting. It's a funny Haftar because it's got two parts. But the message, of course, is that God is telling the following. A great catastrophe is about to happen, but I want you to know it's too late for people to do the tshuva. They're screwed. It's going to happen. Uh... In fact, I want you, the prophet Isaiah, to refrain from getting everybody to repent. And that's where you have the strange Pasig. Shabayomer Lech Vyamart Lama Seh, you know, Shimushumov Al Tovina Rover Al You'll see and you'll hear, you'll hear stuff that's about to happen, and you won't hop. Hashmain Lamehov Mazeh, stop up the people's heart, meaning, as we t- say today, block up, block up the brain. 
and stuff up their ears and their eyes. Because I don't want them to have um, any kind of tshuva, which is strange, because we always think God's wants you always do tshuva. This pasik is the basis, if you look in the Rambam and Hilchus tshuva, for the idea that sometimes you reach a certain point where God says, I want to punish you by denying you the right to do tshuva, the ability to do tshuva. Now, I don't want to get into theology of that, because the Rambam always says, if you really, 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 really work at it, you know, ain't the Rambam if tshuva. But if it's very hard, and you're hooked and addicted to a certain behavior, theoretically it's possible to change and repent, but Lamaise, that's not going to happen. Right? You show me somebody's a druggie, I mean, anything's possible, maybe to go cold turkey one day, it's very, very unlikely. And it's very hard to do that. You understand? Physiologically, anatomically, and and also uh, in terms of your mind and, and, and spiritually. So the the message that God imparts to the prophet after he reaches the highest level of subjective reality, which is he enters the room where God is sitting on his throne surrounding surrounded by angels. You will perhaps recall the famous image of the Rambam in the Murnavuchim, the third part, near the end, where he says that um, God is a king, he's in a castle, he's inside a room inside the castle, and many people are looking for the castle, but they're heading in the wrong direction, they won't find it. And other people, namely Talmudic, Talmudic Chachamim, who are just into Gemara, 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 will, you know, find the wall, but they won't enter, be able to enter the palace. And, you know, very, very few, only the enlightened few will be able to penetrate into the palace and get into the room to see the king. That's kind of like what you see in the Torah today, where he says that, you know, uh, that he reached the Madrega where he where he saw the king. Now, he doesn't really see the king, as I said before, because he can't, but he, as much as a person can, uh, he's describing the, the, the uh, impression it made on him subjectively. And to him, he saw God. Even though he knows it's just an image, but to him he saw God. And without that image, uh, you don't get anywhere in Nebuah. So it's funny. Nebuah consists of something that's not exactly true, but on the other hand, it has, a, has its own truth. It's a, it's a complex business. Now, when does all this happen? It says, When Uziah died. Uziah was a king for 50-some years. Perhaps you'll recall he's the guy who in the middle of his reign tried to do the Keturus and was then stricken with leprosy. And for the rest of his life, he was he was in, in, in leprosy and uh, was out of commission. Uh, for, and, and his son ruled as a region in his place, Yosam. His son, Yosam. And, you know, Mepharshim, or, you know, one says it means when he died, and one says when he got Saras. Doesn't matter. Here's the point. What is the aftermath of the Uziah period? Things start to go downhill in general in Kal Yisrael. And I would describe this all under the rubric of the word Ashur, Assyria, which in the years following this particular prophecy devastated Israel. As you and I know, they carried off the ten lost tribes. That's how they became lost. And then they attacked Judah and wiped out, I mean, a huge amount of the Jewish population. That's what you go see in Israel, about of Lachish and places like that. 
Only Jerusalem survived, and only Jerusalem survived at the, to the last minute because they were they were saved by divine intervention at the last minute. And indeed, in our parsha, once he's told, prevent the people from doing tshuva, stuff up their hearts, st- uh, cl- close up their eyes and ears. The prophet says, "Ad Masai how long is this going to be?" And God answers. I'm going to prevent them from doing teshuva in order to allow a holocaust to take place in Israel. This is the original word show. <laughs> Excuse me, show up. Adashim show arimen yoshev. That cities will be holocausted or devastated and lose all their inhabitants. Ubatim me'ain adam and the house will be empty. Ba'adama tisha mama and the ground will be showa. It'll be a wasteland because it's removed. In other words, the Assyrians will come and kill everybody. So you can walk through a Jewish city and it'll be eerie because the houses are there but there's nobody alive. And God will exile the people far away. And the abandoned territory will be the rove. Which as you and I know is what Israel looked like a couple hundred years ago. At least if you go by Mark Twain and others where they talk about the fact that whole swaths of Israel, Eretz Israel, were like Mimblio Shevor, were devastated or empty, which was good for the Jews when they came back. Um, but, but, but he says, here's a hard passage to translate, but even if 90% of the population is killed, and all you have left is 10% of the population, okay, that too will be attacked and destroyed the 10%, but they will not be totally wiped out because, and again, it's a very difficult passage to translate. You can go in Bible Hub and see all the different translations. Uh, and here's the one I like. Though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the tree and the oak leave stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Those when you chop down a tree, you leave the stump. And so, a little bit of the presence of Klal Yisrael will remain in Israel, and uh, eventually they will, you know, rebuild from that. So, in other words, the Jews will not be exterminated, but they'll be devastated. So that's a heck of a nevuah. Okay. Now, he's saying, in the near future. Now, uh, listen closely. When Uziah died, let's take the Bashav shot. When Uziah died, so his son was for the next sixteen years. And then came Ochaz, who was like really bad news, and declared war in the Torah and all the rest, and burned the Torah and killed all the from. And after Ochaz came to Chizkiyahu. Uh, During the reign of Ochaz and Chizkiyahu, and the north was wiped out. In other words, during the reign of Ochaz and Chizkiyahu, the Assyrians came, and they destroyed the whole north. They carried them off in two phases. So it was really not far from the time that this Nevu was pronounced, in the year after the death of Uziyahu. And indeed, he says, that the, the ground of Israel became like a, a, a ghost town, which is why, perhaps you remember, that when the Kusim showed up to replace the population, they were attacked by wild lions. Now, the way you understand it is God sent lions to go after them. But the plain push-up shot is, you take a town and you kill everybody or deport them 
And now you have a town with houses and all that stuff, but it's no human being is living there. The animals will come in. Right? That's that's what's going to happen. The animals will come in, and the jungle will take over the the, the unjungle part. Uh, and that's why when the uh, when the Kusim and the others moved to Israel, they they populated places that formerly had been populated by Jews, cities, towns, and farms, but the animals had already been accustomed to running amok all over the place, and that's what freaked them out. So this is about to happen. Again, sixteen years of of uh, Yosem, then 16 years of Achaz, that's 32 years, and then 25 years of Chizkiah. During that time, um, the whole north was completely wiped out. And then they went after the south, the king of Yehuda, and as they said before, 90% were killed, and it's exactly like the prophecy, Odba, Syria, even though there's only 10% left, but that 10% took it on the chin. Now, it is possible to read it, if you want to get technical, that the 10% refers to the king of Yehuda, because it was much smaller than the king of Israel, and so you can say, even though Yehuda's left, but Yehuda will also be Shavla Boyer, be left for destruction. So he's saying some heavy stuff over here, which is, um, you guys are about to take it on the chin. You've uh, neglected God, and gotten away with it to this point. Because apparently it seems, then on Uziyaho, they weren't so oriented to Hashem. Uh, in spite of that, the time of Uziyaho was, for the most part, peace and prosperity, or military success and prosperity. Uh, but here's the funny part. If I am prosperous and secure without being from, that itself, the prosperity and the security, becomes my drug. It becomes my item that stops up my ears and my eyes. Because I convince myself that God doesn't play a role in this and that economics and, and, and politics and all that sort of thing is what governs whether we are prosperous and successful or the opposite. And then, once I'm used to that, you can't change. And indeed, that's exactly what God is telling the prophet in this week's parsha. You're coming off the people are drunk on their success and on their materialism. You know, understandably so. And therefore, I'm telling you, stop up their ears and all the rest of it because I want them to see the consequences of that kind of lifestyle so that future generations will note it and hopefully not imitate it. Okay? Uh, so again, within a relatively short time, Ashur wiped out the north. And then in a, a little bit, a decade or two later, less actually, under Chizkiyahu, Sancherev and Ashur came in and they devastated Kingdom of the South. We always forget this because we always remember Sancherev's army was destroyed at night by an angel. True. Prior to that, he wiped out the rest of the kingdom of Yehuda. So either the Assyria, if there's 10% left, can refer to the kingdom of Yehuda per se, or it can refer to 10% of the kingdom of Yehuda, which also was true. So that's quite a devastating um, prophecy. It's a little bit like 
if I were to get up in the year 1935 or 36 and say, you know, there's a, a, a Holocaust coming a few years from now, unless everybody immediately flips and becomes from glad kosher and glad yosher. Otherwise, there'll be a Shoah. And nobody would listen. Not in 1935, even though Hitler was there on the horizon. People weren't going to some, you know, become observant. It's not what happens. Instead, by that time, the Jew, by 35, the Jewish success in caning civil rights in Europe had blocked up their their their, their arteries. Hashmein leinu avazeh, oznav hachbeid ve'enav hasha, penyir be'enav oznav yishmo, ulevav yovim yishav rofalo. The success that they had attained in Europe by that time in all the countries in terms of getting civil equality uh, uh, blocked them from, from reconsidering and saying maybe Europe is not a good idea for the Jewish people and maybe we get the heck out of here in the three, four years left. Of course, that's a fantasy and then they would have ducked the Holocaust. But it wasn't going to happen. Right? It wasn't going to happen because the success itself... Is the is the uh, is the drug that puts you to sleep, and that's what happened with, apparently with the reign of Uziah, and they put the people to sleep, and then they, of course, were attacked. Now the Haftorah artfully um, can't be too long, and so they continue with Yeshayo seven, where he talks about the very beginning of this process, where Achaz has become the king. In other words, Yosam had his sixteen years. And then Ochaz became the king. And that's the very beginning of the process of the wiping out of the north and eventually the wiping out of the south, or almost. Uh, you just have to take my word for it or then look in the book of Malachim yourself. And it's not the style of the Haftorah to give a lot of historical facts. Uh, it's more from Musa oriented That's what Haftorah is. But uh, if you looked inside... In Malachim, and to some degree, at Divrayamim, you see a better outline of the timeline, shall we put it that way. And uh, you'd end up knowing that uh, Jerusalem was eventually besieged by uh, by the Assyrians. Achas kind of bought him off. But Chizkiah did not buy him off. And what had to save them was a divine intervention which, however, was preceded by Chizkiyo's, um determined effort to turn things around and bring the people back to, to Judaism. So it's a very heavy and pregnant kind of uh, business. And the Haftorah is weird in the sense you have chapter 6 and then it goes into 7 and takes you to the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem by the combined armies of the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of, of Damascus. But uh, they don't want to go into all that, especially when the king of Israel, who's super wicked, King of Yehuda, Achaz, speaks very contemptuously about God. And so in order just to have a good, instead of a depressing uh, theme, they talk about Mashiach time. In other words, you have chapter 6, then you have half of chapter 7, and then they jump all the way to chapter 9 to give you verses 5 and 6, because it sounds nice. And we like to end off Torah in something nice. They already talk about the fact that the Mashiach will be Marbi Hamisra, Shalom and Kates, Al Kisi Dabam Lachto, 
it'll be a grand old time. Um, but the actual uh, historical timeline is different, and any pre-Messianic stuff is characterized by a tremendous violence and devastation perpetrated in Israel by Ashur. Uh, and before Ashur went down, which happened later, that's another book in the Bible, Nachum, before Ashur went down, they killed a lot of Jews. And they messed this up permanently. I think most of us today, because we have so much sorrows in Jewish history, we forget Ashur is, has left a permanent mark on the Jewish people because they got rid of the Ten Tribes. They haven't come back. And that's not Bavel, that's Ashur. Uh, and that's what Yeshayo is mainly talking about. So you have the parallel with the revelation on Sinai. You have the angel part. Uh, the, all that is true. But then you have the part, which is a little bit like Pharaoh. The punishment of Pharaoh was he wasn't allowed to to uh, repent. He had to be stubborn. And the Jewish people were told over here the punishment is that they'll be stubborn. Stubbornness is really a a uh, a big flaw. It's I mean it's easy for me to say, but stubbornness can can drive you crazy. Especially you have this in schools in yeshivas, where some say they'll have a rule, and the and and for this student you really have to bend the rules, but they don't do that, and you know you have the type of principal who digs in his heels, and. Uh, Turns out bad, certainly for the kid. I mean, I've seen that many times. Uh, the Tokacha and the Chumash is also about being stubborn. In Telchimabikeri, uh, apparently the Torah really doesn't like stubbornness. Torah prefers uh, the reverse of stubbornness, kind of flexibility, because the flexible person can repent easier. The flexible person, you know, doesn't have any hang-ups, and can be brought to see, better chance of being brought to see that things aren't working out the way you are now, maybe you want to try another mahalach. And maybe with the other mahalach, which you and I would call repentance, uh, maybe the results will be better. So it's a very heavy and pregnant half Torah today. Uh, and classic, of course. Once again, I want to thank Mishpachas Marciano for uh, sponsoring today. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.